You're listening to the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Today, joining me on the pod is going to be my man, John Lucas Duffy. What up, Duff? What up, what up? How we doing? There's a lot going on. You know, the Celtics win game one. The Warriors Rockets start on Monday. We got the NBA draft lottery. I personally think Yankee fans are still the worst. This is why no one likes them. Because they're winning everything again. They like the players who they hated a week ago. We got a lot to talk about. The Mets stink. Like, how's your sports life been, Duff? My sports life has been a little empty the past couple of days because there's no basketball. But I got a chance to catch up on some Yankees Red Sox. I got a chance to watch a little baseball. Got a chance to watch a little hockey. Watch a little TV. It was a nice. It was a nice break. I needed it. A couple ca- days. You're caught up on Atlanta. Oh, yeah, dude. I'm way caught up on Atlanta. I crushed oh. that in like 25 hours, Donald, like 15 episodes. Donald Glover having a moment. Man, Man's doing it all like he always does. Yeah. It's pretty insane. We've been there since day one. It's interesting to hear all these people talk about him the way they do now. Yeah, it, it is interesting. All right, man. Sports Blog New York podcast. You know what it is. iTunes Out podcast, all that, John. Stay tuned. All I do is get. What up, Duff? We here. What Sports up, blog, up? New York podcast. Pete Kennedy, John Lucas Duffy. Call him Duff if you like. That's what I call him. Um, yeah, we were talking right before the little intro music about Donald Glover. Speaking of music, Childish Gambino comes out with his uh, his This Is America vehicle, which is a fantastic video. I've watched it so many times at this point. I think it's up to 100 million views, by the way, on YouTube. Um, Congrats. Classic Donald Glover. Not that I want to like dive into this, but since we mentioned it in the open, I'll, I'll, I'll say it super quick. Classic Donald Glover, because you know there's obviously a, a ton of messages in that video, and you don't make a video like that with so many specific details and th- and things like that without you know thinking about it. And then they ask him at the Met Gala about you know what what do you want people to think about when they watch that video? What do you want to have that message say? And he just goes, oh, I was just trying to make a really cool song. <laughs> just trolling everybody just typical like you guys yeah. can, he's like you guys can watch it think what you want i ain't giving you nothing and i respect that about donald yeah he said uh maybe he was on kimmel i think and he was just like uh kimmel asked him you know there's been a lot of think pieces about your music video what, what have you been reading them blah 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 he's like no i haven't been on the internet in like four days I don't want to read what anyone says because uh, if I'm the type of person who is just like going to read it and then try to find out everything about you. <laughs> <laughs> you got to respect the honesty, honestly, there, you know? Yeah, for real. That's how I feel. Uh, also got to respect the Boston Celtics holding their home court, winning the first game of the series against the Cavs and LeBron James. Now, I, I did kind of think the Boston would... I was very confident they would win one of the first two games in this series. Wasn't sure if it would be game one or game two. The cool thing about basketball, though, Duff, it doesn't matter if you win by three points or 30 points. It only counts for one. Now, we're going to dive into this more later because we want to hop on the Yankee Mets for a hot second. Were you shocked by today's outcome? I'll just Let's just go with that to start off. I was not shocked that they the Celtics won. I was shocked in the manner in which they won, which they just stepped on the Cavs' throats, knocked them down, and just stomped on their necks and just put them down. They never let the Cavs get close. I think the closest they got after they extended out to like 30 was 14 in the third quarter, and then they ballooned it back up to over 20. And so I was really impressed with their poise. 
Yeah, I think they ended the thirteen uh, the thirteenth quarter. What the third quarter? They were down by fourteen at the end of the quarter there, and then you know didn't make it much closer than that in the fourth. I kind of agree. I I, I thought they were like I said. I thought they were going to win one of the first two games. Wouldn't have expected them to win by almost thirty. Like that is impressive. But we have seen LeBron James in these playoffs lose by thirty four points in Game Six to the Indiana Pacers, come back and win Game Seven. So. There may not be a cause for concern. LeBron James made that clear that he has no concern yet. So uh, we, we have something to talk about, though, now. There's something to be said. There's a lot of talking heads who are going to come on television and radio on Monday while you guys are listening to this program who are going to be spitting some nonsense and saying some crazy crap. We're going to try to lead you guys down the right path uh, regarding that series. And we're also going to touch on the Warriors and Rockets. But, but Duff, there's something to be said about a Yankee fan. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I don't know what it is because, like, I really – I'm not, like, a hard-o fan. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I really I, I really do try my best to separate, like, fanhood from my opinions. And, and I don't get – even about my own teams, I usually don't even get super, like, upset or torn up about bad things or too high about um, good things. Not that there's that many good things with the Knicks and Mets. But Yankee fans have this thing about them that where – you know, for example, I'll use Neil Walker. And also, let me mention, the Yankees are 10-2 and in May so far. So they're doing fantastic. There's not much to complain about. But Neil Walker, a guy who recently joined the Yankees just this year, first time, he was on the Mets and was an average player. So Yankee fans at least know who he is. He's been around for a minute. And he, he started off real cold. Stuff. He, he's been struggling. He really wasn't hitting the ball. He didn't look great in the field. He was just very, very underwhelming as a New York Yankee. Now, all of a sudden, my man has a good week and a half. He hits a walk-off, and people are tweeting, I'm sorry, Neil, you you earned your pinstripes, you're the best. Like, ah. And, and it's just, this is why no one likes you. That's what I have to say. <laughs> like, this is why no one likes you. In the, week, the first week of the season, Giancarlo Stanton is getting booed up to Wazoo. Aaron Boone can't coach. Get him out of here. Bring back Girardi. Stanton sucks. Why do we trade for him? Neil Walker's a piece of trash. And then they do something good, and they're best friends again. Duff, am I fair to say this is why no one likes Yankee fans? The, yeah, everyone hates Yankee fans unless you're a Yankee fan. And it's it's completely warranted, and it's fair. They're like... The Eagles fans of baseball, ex- or yeah, of baseball, except they're they can like back it up with the oh yeah we won twenty six, twenty seven. I don't even know. I don't care how many championships. Twenty seven. And it's just like so frustrating that you know, anytime you have an argument with them, all roads lead back to championships. To we won championships, we won championships. It's like, dude, we're talking about this season right now. You won twenty six championships in the month of April and May. That was crazy. I didn't. That. And what, the papers. what bothers me the most is I, I like this Yankees team. I really do. I, there's nothing to not like about Aaron Judge. Didi Gregorius, I've been saying this for like two two seasons now. He's my favorite Yankee, possibly of like all time at this point. I mean, obviously, he has, he has a ways to go and some rings to win. But I love Didi Gregorius. I think um, Luis Severino is electric to watch. I, Aaron Hicks, I don't like Brett Gardner, but whatever. Giancarlo Stanton, like, I like this team a lot. I mean, and Duhar and Torres have been absolutely a blast to watch, even with their slight up and down uh, of, of a rookie start. They're, they've been a blast to watch. They're never out of a game. Their bullpen is very good, even though people want to ship Batantis out of town. And and yet, when they're 10-2 and two in May, and the Mets are 2-9 and nine in May, the complete polar opposite month just, in, you know, Put, shedding light on the whole existence of the Mets and Yankees in the same town in one month is what this past freaking 15 days have been for us. 
they still complain. And I and now I mentioned this on the pod now that I, I work at WFIN on the side of my other job. And I work the board, board operator, you know, so I have to answer these phone calls, set them up, screen them, do all that fun stuff. And these guys, just there's so much to complain about a team that has freaking won 10 out of 12 games. It's insane. They've they've lost like three games in the past month. Close to that, like maybe it's not exactly a month, but they had a crazy stretch. They won like 16 or 17 out of 18 or 17, something like that. And then they lost two games, and it was like the sky was falling. It was absolutely brutal. Listen, so, oh, man, I like I try not to get worked up about this stuff, man. I really do because I try to separate the fan. I, you know, I'm not not I'm no big J journalist over here. I'm not. I'm honestly not even a little J journalist. I'm a. Uh, I'll take a Colin Cowherd word. I'm an opinion. Opinion. What does he say? Opinionalism. That's what he does, and that's that's kind of what we do on this podcast too. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like to have fun with it, but I just get it. I get it when people hate Yankee fans because it's just so easy to to not root for you guys. It's just very easy to not root for you guys, even though I love your team. I really love the team, and that's where I, I hate I, your team. I'm torn. You hate my team? Oh no, you hate no, Yankees. Yankee, the Yankees. <laughs> because it's kind of not nice to hate the Mets unless you're a Mets fan, right? Like if you're yeah, you don't kick someone while they're down like that. <laughs> like I'm a Mets fan. I'm allowed to hate the Mets because they. They make me miserable, right? Well, not I really don't get too high or low on it, but like Mets fans who live and die by every game, they're miserable right now, and it sucks. And to see Harvey go out in Cincinnati, or actually pitch on the West Coast before Cincinnati, throw out a pretty good start, and the Reds won the game, I mean, that has to hurt even more. Like, Duff, I know you were, you being a pitcher in your uh, old athletic days, you were a guy who uh, liked, liked you some Matt Harvey. What do you think of this whole thing? I used to love watching Matt Harvey. That was appointment television for me and my dad because I, I used to be obsessed with his slider because they used to always talk about how he had three different kinds of sliders. You know, one that was more horizontal break, one was vertical break, one was just like power and speed, like sharp, late action. And I, I just am really disappointed with where his career has gone to this point. And I feel like the writing has kind of always been on the wall he was always kind of someone who showed a lot of talent but was maybe a little difficult to deal with showing up in yankee games on his off day showing up late at rangers games and stuff like that you know ripping darts and dugouts that was probably the coolest thing he did uh but it it's really disappointing like he was the first of these you know great young match pitchers who have materialized here but he he was the very first one and everyone was all excited about him he was the dark knight he had the sick nickname and i it, it's really disappointing to see him in cincinnati but also it might not be his last stop i feel like cincinnati picked him up so that they could trade him again in july probably so we we can see him on a contender. We'd see him on the Yankees by season end. All right, no, no, no. I, <laughs> we had Jeff Eisenband uh, on last week's episode, and we talked about this. And he said that he's been trolling Mets fans for years, saying that Harvey will end up being a Yankee, and he still thinks it's possible, just probably not this year. And I say well, no. A Yankees fan. I don't care. I don't care about that at all. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't change my mind whatsoever. The Yankees don't need that. Do you know if Matt Harvey joined the Yankees right now? Like it could be CC Sabathia's start. You know what Aaron Boone's getting asked in the pre- in the pregame? He's getting asked about Matt Harvey. You know Matt Harvey started yesterday, had a very average start, and then you know there's a picture of him in freaking TMZ. You know what Aaron Boone's getting asked about? Matt Harvey. You know what Aaron Boone doesn't want to get asked about? Matt Harvey. It's not happening. It's just not a good marriage right now. There's no chance in hell. 
That's a good point, but also if the price is right and he's pitching well, I could see it happening. I don't, you know, never say never. Fair, very fair. Also, actually, you know, I just thought of something since I I put Yankee fans on blast here for a hot minute. Duff, I kind of have to put you on blast right now for the sports blog New York podcast listener, assuming the SBNY podcast listener are New York fans. You're kind of you're kind of like the bane of New York fans' existence because you're from North Jersey, very much so ingrained in New York sports based on location and friends, right? Most of your friends mm-hmm. are Mets and Yankee fans or Knicks fans, even though we, we got a lot of Sixer fan friends out here. Um, but you you like the Red Sox. You've been rooting for the Celtics and the Sixers this season. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't really care about football like at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I guess, are, are you a Devils fan in hockey, technically? Mm-hmm. So... That, I guess Where's that, the problem? That's the only problem. I, that's the only non-problem is your hockey fanhood, I guess. But you know, you like you literally like the Red Sox, the Sixers, and the Celtics, and and the Suns. And you, yeah, right. And, and you, I used to like the Warriors and the Timberwolves. And you come out here and the SuperSonics. <laughs> and I you, grew up a SuperSonics fan. You and you still come out here and will throw shade at New York fans. What do you have to say for yourself? Even though Mister North Jersey, born and raised, could care less about New York sports. It's, it's just, how about all those New York people who throw shade at New Jersey people all the time for being like, oh yeah, I know New York. I am from New York, oh, a suburb outside New York. It's called New Jersey. Like people like that. <laughs> I don't play that shit. I don't care about New York sports because I'm not from New York. I understand the difference. And New York sports has been mostly trash since I've been born, except all those Yankees championships that happened when I was like too young to form memories. So the Knicks have been trash. The Mets have been were y- fun when I was younger, but then they became trash and they're still kind of trash. Sorry. And then like the Islanders trash Rangers trash. So the Knicks so, like the trashest of the trash. So I, I don't understand what was, what was supposed to be so appealing. Like the jets, fuck them. The giants, <laughs> I don't even like football. I really kind of never have. And like what, I don't understand. Like, why Why do I got to be a New York fan? I fucking hated all those people growing up because I was a Red Sox fan first and foremost. And all I heard was, oh, you never win. Like, Yankees this, 26 championships, 27. I don't even know how fucking many that. And uh, I, I, that bullshit just made me so mad. And I just, a lot of hate in my heart for <laughs> Yankees fans. <laughs> so you revolted. You totally revolted. Oh, man. I mean, oh, yeah. the Red Sox thing has to make it hard. I mean, in basketball, you are truly an NBA fan. I give you that. So you kind of yeah. bounce around off of the teams. You're not. It's afraid. based on like just good like business. Yeah. And like, are you running a good franchise? Are you moving in the right direction? Are you doing the right things? Do you have a good team? Do you have the right personnel? Are you making good decisions? Like all that stuff that like if I am rooting for your team, that's a good thing. Like I was on the Warriors before they had won anything. I am now on the Sixers and the Celtics because look at those teams. And now everyone's like, oh, man, they got the brightest futures in the league, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, dude, just fucking pay attention to the people doing the right thing. It's it's like really easy once you take a look at it. I will give you that. You are not a front runner in basketball. People can mistake your front like that you would be a front runner in basketball because you did pull for the Warriors. But me and you were up there uh, when we lived together in college, uh, staying up until one thirty in the morning before the Warriors won any championship, saying like, "This is it. This is the next five years. It's gonna be amazing." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, some people 
turn that into bitterness after they start winning something. You and I, right? And it's like, oh, you're bandwagon. Like you're from New Jersey, you're from New York. You're on team from California. You're bandwagon. It's like, dude, no, I was up late watching these games. We like we saw it. We saw it was coming. And that's also to make this a segue here. That's also part of the reason why I like talking to you about the Knicks and talking to them about the Knicks' decisions and their moves and their team is because you're not coming in here with any bias at all. Like You're not here trying to sell yourself or somebody else that the Knicks are going to be good. You're going to call it how you see it. And this actually might be a very rare time. You have something tonight, something nice to say about our New York Knicks. And when I say our, I mean me and hopefully the listeners of this program. <laughs> I mean me and mine and my, my <laughs> friends, our. Yes, not you. Not yours. You don't care. But you are a fan of David Fisdale. So your unbiased, unfiltered opinion on the Knicks coaching hire? I am pro Fizz. I'm well. This this is a pro Fizz podcast. Frank is the hardest Fizz fan for sure, and it just was the. I'll put it this way: like you guys, you guys said it well this week. You and Jeff, he was probably just the easiest hire because it checked the most boxes in terms of like, okay, he has NBA experience but he's relatively unknown as a head coach because he had like a season and like this year doesn't really count. And he had like one season and one playoff run as a head coach and he did well. And like, you think about that crazy Memphis team he had, he they were throwing out like 30 different starting lineups over the course of 82 game season. I think it was like 25, something like that. But he is well-respected among coaches. He's well-respected among players. He's well-respected by the best player in the world, LeBron James. So it was, it, it makes sense. Like if you just put it down on paper, it makes sense. But because it was New York and you were right on this, people wanted that New York guy. Like, oh, we want one of our guys. We want JVG. We want Mark Jackson. Get Jerry Stackhouse in here. And like people not talking about Fizz. And Mark Jackson would have been just bad. Like it, don't, don't spoil it. It's kind of like don't ruin your heroes type of thing. Like you have fond Never memories of Mark Jackson. Heroes, That's yes. fine. But if he comes in here, like this team is not really, it's not really like a good franchise. I'm this like, I'm not trying to throw shade at the Knicks like historically. It's more directed towards Dolan. Like we can all point fingers at him. That's our common ground. He's a terrible owner. So it's just kind of a weird situation to put someone who has such close ties to the franchise in. So it, it, it's nice to get someone with a little objectivity like Fizz. I agree. And I don't know why you threw Stackhouse in as one of the New York guys. He's not, like, he doesn't really have ties out here. Didn't um, he play for the Knicks for a minute? I mean, if he did, it was like a Jalen Rose minute. Like, he didn't, I don't think he played for the Knicks. He played for every other team in the league, I think, <laughs> but not the Knicks. <laughs> I thought he played for the Knicks when he two-piece Kobe. Nah. Nah, I don't, I don't think so. I'm going to have to look that up why we, why we keep talking. I'm pretty sure Jerry Stackhouse never played for the Knicks. I know Jalen Rose actually played for the Knicks for, like, a really, really hot minute. Uh, then, I was wrong. You were right. I looked got, it up. And then got bought out. Um... Jerry Stackhouse would have been an interesting hire. I would have been behind that for sure. But like you said with David Fisdale, the things that you hear from around the league about David Fisdale are all super positive. And the really only mark on his resume right now is that Mark Gasol thing. And what really bothered me, and I said this to Jeff too, I'll get your opinion on it. People just assumed because you know he had a problem with one European big from Spain who is born in a different generation, is like 10 years older than Porzingis, that we have to be worried about his relationship with somebody from a different country who, for all intents and purposes, has nothing to do with Marcus All and is only 22, like a different person. Like, why are we jumping to a conclusion that 
oh, David Fisdale must hate European bigs. Like, no, that is not that has nothing to do with why he didn't get along with Marcus All. He didn't get along with Marcus All because he asked Marcus All, do you think this team is good enough to win? And Marcus All said no. Like that's that's part of the story. That was like the rumor that was swirling. I don't know where this whole thing like came out came about. Like in the press conference, they're asking him, Are you worried about getting along with Porzingis because of the Marcus All thing? Like, what? They're two different human beings. Like how did you did that like infuriate you at all? Or is that just me? That's racist. This racist by the American media thinking that Europe is one country. That's what that was. Yeah, for you real. Put a, one person is from Spain, the other is from Latvia. They're like ten years apart. They're completely different people. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, hey, you didn't get along with that uh, California big man. What makes you think you're gonna get along with this Texas big man? It's like, what? Why? That? Why is that even a question? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it was completely ridiculous, and it's, and it's a completely different situation in terms of stature. You guys talked about it last week. Marcus Hall is the guy in Memphis. He came over. He went to high school in Memphis. He's very, he's got roots there, like literal roots. He grows a vegetable garden at his house, very <laughs> organic. He, so he's like homegrown, like in the sense that for half of his life, really, he's he's lived in Memphis. So it's a completely different situation. Porzingis is new to America. He's new to the league. He hasn't proven anything. You know, the only thing I'm worried about is Knicks fans doing that whole stay mellow thing where they... It, it, they they like put Porzingis up on this pedestal, even though he he's just at this point in his career he's like an injury prone big man with a lot of potential. So I, I'm worried that if, if things get a little testy between the two of them in a competitive way and hopefully not in a serious way at all, that fans and the city will rally behind Porzingis, and then you just turn away another, you know, could be great coach, and then it just turns out. Uh, you get Mark Jackson and all like everything goes to shit. Like that's the worst case scenario. Everyone needs to kind of take a step back from Porzingis and just say, okay, what do we really have here? And just take a look at it objectively. Cause so far he hasn't done anything. And Francesa has been on record saying, you know, from what he hears, he's a little bit more difficult to deal with than you might think. You know, because everyone poo-poos the exit interview thing and that Phil Jackson was going to trade him. It's like, oh, crazy Phil smoking too much weed. And it's like, well, you know, maybe there was a little bit of Porzingis mixed in on that. Yeah, there's definitely something with Porzingis to where, like, he's not training now. to. Oh, he's not rehabbing, I should say. He's not rehabbing his ACL injury with the Knicks. He has his own team, his own trainers. He's doing it wherever he wants. Like, he's not, he's not super present. I think he felt a little betrayal with the Phil Jackson thing, and it's kind of rightfully so. Like, I'm not going to get on him for that specifically, but he also didn't handle it the best way he possibly could have. Like, I don't for all the shit we can talk about Carmelo Anthony, I don't think Carmelo Anthony would have ever done that. Um, but Porzingis has this thing now where he kind of trusts his people and trusts himself a little bit more than the franchise, and that's not a good thing, and that's why the best news was Fizdale's first call of action was, I'm going to meet this guy. I'm going to talk to him. You want to meet his family. I want to see what he's all about. And that's really cool. And... This is, and I appreciate your unbiased opinion, even though I don't like to hear the possible downfall of Porzingis. But if if we're setting up a goal list here, and I don't want to spend too much more time on this, we got to get to the Celtics, Cavs, and Warriors, Rockets. But if we're setting up a goal list, right, of like all the things you want David Fisdale's tenure to check off, the first thing I want to check off on David Fisdale's tenure, or put on the list at least, because it's going to take time, is to not have one of these press conferences introducing a new coach in two years. Like, if David Fisdale can be the coach of the Knicks into the 2020s, like, that's a win right there. Boom. You know? Porzingis has had four coaches in his time. He's only been in the league for three years. 
No, he's had three. He's had three coaches. This is his fourth coach. I should say he's had three coaches in three years. That's no. That's no way for a young person to to start his NBA career. We're actually going to talk about this later um, with somebody on the Celtics, Jason Tatum, who, in my opinion, won the NBA draft last year by going to the Boston Celtics. Where you go, your system, your coach means so much in every sport: NFL, NBA, everything. And Porzingis didn't have the best draw. Yeah, New York got him up, got him on the hype train, but it didn't do anything for him basketball-wise. And what I'm going to allude to later with Jason Tatum, and this is a good segue now, I guess. Jason Tatum got drafted by the Celtics. If Jason Tatum was drafted by the Phoenix Suns this year, he would have played on a team that lost almost the most games in the league. He may have helped them you know, win another game or two because he's a pretty good player. Uh, but he would not be anywhere near what he is right now, playing under Brad Stevens, playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, playing next to Kyrie Irving all year, or most of the year, I should say, playing next to Al Horford, playing in a franchise with a great GM and great ownership and all that. He, he just wouldn't be what he is right now. And it, it would be the same for Kristaps Porzingis. I, I know what teams drafted around him. Like If KP went to the Lakers, he'd probably be in the same spot now with the Knicks because he would have made that hype the hype train, he would have been, you know, on the magazines because he's in L.A. But if Kristaps Porzingis got drafted to the Orlando Magic, would anyone care about him? Like, what what would have his career looked like right now? Like, what would we think about KP right now? Would we talk about him the way we talk about Nikola Vucevic? Oof. I, I mean, I don't know. He's, I think he would have popped on some level just because of his freakish athleticism and ability to shoot. Like, he would have popped. but wouldn't I mean, have... he's a certainly better player than Vucevic, like, right now. Obviously. So... But would he still have gotten, like, well, let's just say he still gets hurt, and then it's just like, do people care about him any more than they care about Vucevic? It's like, all right, yeah, this dude's balling out in Orlando, but really, like, who gives a fuck? And also, would a franchise look at him as the cornerstone? Because right now, the Knicks, like, he's the only thing the Knicks have to hang their hat on. That's it. So, what I want from well, Fisdale... Well, him and Trey Burke. And, yeah, shout out Trey Burke. What I want from David Fisdale is to build a culture. I always say this about Brett Brown. I don't know if he's the right coach to put them over the hump, I think those questions are seriously arising now, again, because they arose in the beginning of the season. We uh, arose those questions four months ago. Yeah, but then you, you kind of flopped and thought he was the guy again. I don't know. A lot of people got fooled by the great season and, and thought maybe he was the guy to put him over the hump. But I want Fizdale to create a culture. I want him to be here in 2022, 2023, in four or five years. That would be a huge success, and I think that's the first thing you put on the list. Like I want this guy to be a coach for his entire contract, and if we extend him, that means he's doing something right. That's all I want. That's fair. All right. Sports Blog New York Podcast. John Lucas Delphi, Pete Kennedy here. Now it's time to talk about the Boston Celtics and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Obviously, the Celtics are now up one nothing. They really came out with great focus on the defensive end on what to do to slow this team down. But tough. The Cavs couldn't hit a shot. The Cavs missed every three they took in the first half, I believe. I think they were 0 for 12 in the first half on threes. So, yeah, they got run out of the gym. Yeah, it looked like the Celtics just absolutely washed them. But in game two, I think you have to expect the Cavs to have a better showing. How much do you chalk this game up to? The Cavs are just cold, got caught off guard by a good defensive scheme, and they just didn't have it. Or do you really think the Celtics are going to have the number this series? Um, I think it's I think it's a little both. Like the Celtics have been a top five three point defensive. Uh, team since Brad Stevens came into the league and we saw them run the Sixers off the three-point line early in game one uh, of the last series as well. But also on the flip side of that coin, LeBron James 
in the first games of his series so far this uh this playoffs he's kind of been more passive trying to get a feel for it get his teammates involved that sort of thing and then we see him come out in the next game and really like take it to the other team that's kind of been the pattern so i'm not terribly concerned about this i think it's good that the celtics saw like were given we're given the the hand that they were dealt that LeBron was going to be a little bit more passive today. He only shot 16 times. So if that's going to be the Cavaliers game plan is to let the supporting cast try to get hot. And like LeBron's going to be kind of hanging out and trying to facilitate. That's a great thing for the Celtics, like uh, for any team playing against the Cavaliers. And LeBron is playing with his food a little bit here. Like if they make it to the finals, I guarantee he doesn't do this in game one uh, against the Warriors or the Rockets. But I think because it's still the East and LeBron sees all the success he's had over the years, he he thinks he can do this still. And we'll find out if it was a mistake or not as we go. But I, I'm not terribly concerned because it, it, it's not really out of character for what he's done so far. I have a question about Brad Stevens. So we're just talking about Brett Brown and how his like his uh, perception arc from around the league and people in the media and people doing podcasts like little blog boys like me and you. His his pers- his perception arc was, wow, he's really building a culture in Philadelphia. This might be a team that can sneak into an eight seed. Maybe they're going to beat their over under at five hundred and they're going to make the t- make the playoffs. Then they had a ridiculous stretch. Ben Simmons really popped. Embiid stayed healthy for the most part the entire season outside of the silly face injury. Started playing back to backs, all that stuff. And all of a sudden, people are like, "Oh, Brett Brown, coach of the year. Brett Brown might be—he might be the guy, coach of the year." This, t- this team plays defense. They really pace in space. They know what they're doing. And then all of a sudden, he gets worked by Brad Stevens. So my Brad Stevens question for you is: This is the same coach who coached the Celtics last year and the year before that, and the year before that, right? So Brad Stevens has been consistent there. He—he's been the coach of the Celtics. He's played the Cavs in the playoffs multiple times now. Do you think the fact that we're now calling him like the MVP of the team, that we're just saying like Brad Stevens is worth as many points as some of the best players in the league, do you think that's fair? Do you think it's overhype? Do you think he's just on that perfect arc? Like he's on the, the the highest peak of his coaching game? Like where do you think he lands uh, on the realistic spectrum here, not on the, oh my God, Brad Stevens is, is a, geni- a basketball god, a basketball genius, and whatever he does turns to gold. Like wh- how do you feel about his impact on the series? Do you really feel he's the most important uh, piece of the Celtics right now? Uh, I think he is the most important piece of Celtics, yes. Uh, but I'll ask you this question. It, it's Would you rather have LeBron or Brad Stevens? I'd, have Le- I'd rather have LeBron. Obviously. So you kind of have to grade it on a curve. So you say this guy is the best coach in the NBA. Okay, fine. Would you rather have him over the best player in the NBA? Obviously not. So he's worth coaches are worth something. And the the saying that I like to use is that's I took from actually a soccer podcast. It's like good coaches can make your team 10% better and bad coaches can make your team 30% worse. And this is what I'll say about Brad Stevens. He makes me think he can make his team 20% better. Like he makes a serious difference. If he has guys that are willing to listen to him and throughout his entire career, it seems like every player he's had is bought in. I haven't heard any, you know, rumblings about upset players coming from Boston uh, at all that I can think of. And it seems like every player that leaves gets worse. 
um, with the exception of Jay Crowder when he went to Utah. It seemed like he found his boss in form, but that's, you know, well, that's because, credit wait, to Quinn Snyder because yeah, they're very similar coaches. I think Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas are perfectly telling examples of what Brad Stevens is because uh, well, say what you want about Isaiah Thomas and his injury and his uh, lack of performance once he left Boston. He has been a very honest person, almost to a fault, Isaiah Thomas, like where he talks when he almost shouldn't be talking. But he Absolutely. has come out now uh, since the playoffs started just – praising Brad Stevens. He put out a tweet saying, like, this guy is the best coach I've ever seen, what he does for a team, and his preparation is insane, and all this stuff. Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas left Boston, a very structured team with a system, and went to play with LeBron James to when Ty, Ty Lue may be a good coach, may not be, we really don't know. The system is LeBron James. That That is the system, right? And then they were like, well, we don't practice. Like, we don't we don't have a system. Like, we're just running around. Like, what, what are we doing here? And Jay Crowder goes to Utah. All of a sudden, he looks like Jay Crowder again, and he's you know hitting threes. He's playing good defense. He's that real you know small ball four that we saw in Boston last year. That is probably one of the more telling signs about Brad Stevens right there. Just those two guys, like they they left and went to Cleveland and were like, "This is a shit show. Like, what's going on here?" And then mm-hmm. Jay Crowder went to Utah and was like, "All right, this is this is it again. I'm I'm bought in. Let's do this." Right. And that's perfectly and- telling to what Brad Stevens can do for a team. Yeah, and I think Quinn Snyder and Brad Stevens are very similar coaches. Like they they are very defensively oriented. They share the ball on offense. They both had the philosophy of okay, everybody gets a touch on offense. Not everyone's got to shoot it, but you know, make them feel involved, and then they'll work harder on defense. And I've heard, I, I heard uh, somebody I forget who the coach uh, Zach Lowe had on his pod this week said, you know, I don't necessarily believe in that. And it's like, what are you talking about, like? Everyone knows that that's like a true thing. Like Anthony Mason and, uh, <clears throat> and Charles Oakley on the Knicks used to say the same thing. Like, bro, just let me touch it. Just let me touch it. Like, let me touch it. I know I'm not supposed to shoot. I get it. I'm doing the dirty work. But, like, let me feel like I'm doing something besides setting screens and elbowing people in the chest for rebounds, you know? Like, let them do a little something with it. And that's what the Celtics are. Like, every, you see that ball flying around the flying around the, the court all the time. Like, you see bad possessions in the second quarter. Or, no, it was the first quarter. I'm sorry. Jalen Brown, like, he comes up the right side of the wing. He fires up a three. And then the very next possession, they get it on, like, a fast break kind of. They break it down in the secondary break, pass to the corner, pass to the wing, pass inside, pass back to the top of the key, pass to the corner to Jalen Brown for a wide-open three. It's like, okay, both plays ended up in the same result, a Jalen Brown three. But one of them he made because there was ball movement and it was a catch and shoot three. And the other one, he just kind of pulled up. And it's like the first one was a really bad shot while they're going on a run. The second one is just pure Celtics offense. Everybody in the right spots and sharing the ball because they don't care who shoots it. It's it's just about getting points for your team. Let's take and that's kind of the philosophy that he's instilled in all of them. They, and they buy in. Let's take Aaron Baines, for example. Put Aaron Baines on the Cavaliers. He doesn't get touches. He doesn't get the ball on the flow of the offense. He is literally there, like you said, to set screens and rebound. Put him on the Celtics, and you're seeing Aaron Baines get the ball at the at the uh, at the what's it called the elbow to to just get the flow going. To then he moves the ball. He's taking uh, fluid catch and shoot shots from the corner. All of a sudden he's shooting threes, yeah. which is weird. Taking if, corner threes. If you put Aaron Baines on the Celtics, he becomes like he becomes a nobody again. He becomes somebody who is just there to fill space and to be a tough guy, to foul people hard and get rebounds. Now on the Celtics, Aaron Baines plays a really important role. My next question for you, though, with this Brad Stevens conversation going on, are we underselling the talent at all of the Boston Celtics? Because I've been thinking about it like this. I know 2K is a video game, 
but I think they take some serious pride in their ratings and, you know, the tendencies in players, and they do uh, an insane amount of homework on these guys. They know more about these guys than anybody else, right? Like, they do, they have so much data, and they put it into their game, and they make a great product, obviously. People love 2K. If you think about the Celtics roster, they may not have the 95 or 96 like LeBron James is. They no longer have the 93 that Kyrie Irving is or the 89 that Gordon Hayward is, but is their team not full of of 80 overall players? Like, do they have real weaknesses? I know, you know, they get out of Shane Larkin when he's healthy, who's probably like a 75. They may boost him up to like a 77, 78. But is there a lack of talent on the Celtics? Like, they're not just a bunch of scrubs. Like, they're, there's some solid basketball players out there. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. It's like their floor is higher than everyone. And I don't think it's necessarily people were wrong about the Celtics. I think it was we hadn't seen these guys take on uh, a, a heavier workload. So Terry Rose or Terry Rozier got his first start, I think, ever this season. He got a triple-double. So, like, how are we supposed to know that he had that in him? You know, we... We we don't know unless we see it, and we just happen to be seeing it towards the end of the regular season and into the playoffs, and these guys getting their chance. And I think it's like very Belichickian, next man next man up type of philosophy they have uh, for the Celtics. And you know, Jalen Bro Jalen Brown, sorry, Jalen Jalen Brown didn't get a lot of burn last year, and so this year he's stepping up. He shot forty percent from three. They developed him. He became this exactly what they wanted him to be. This super athlete who could guard and shoot. And, you know, Jason Tatum was a rookie who knew what he was going to be. And if he ends up on some other team, like this, like the next base case scenario for him would be the Sixers probably. And he would have been like 85% of what he is now. He still would have been good, but would he be in this good? If they, they wouldn't have handed him the keys to the car. So it would have been Ben and uh, Joel's team. So I, I don't think it's necessarily that people were underrating them. It's just that, they lacked experience and that's just a true statement and we didn't know what to do with that and in the playoffs lack of experience usually results in failure more often than not so I don't think people were wrong I just think it was the unknown it was being cautious so in American justice in the American justice system it's innocent until proven guilty but largely in sports it's the opposite it's guilty until proven innocent so Chris Paul never made a conference finals. It's, oh, that guy's not clutch until he does something clutch. LeBron James, before he won a finals, uh, before he was, you know, hitting late game buzzer beaters like he does every other game now, it was, oh, LeBron's not clutch because he hasn't done it yet. So it's very much passes. He doesn't want the big moment. Uh, Now, flipping over to the Cavs and their talent. Now, I see on Twitter and Instagram, you know, Bleacher Report puts up uh, some sort of graphic where it says LeBron versus the Celtics, and it's Le- a tug of war picture. I'm pretty sure it was Bleach Report. A tug of war picture where it's LeBron on one side with Ty Lue standing next to him, not on the rope. LeBron's pulling <laughs> the whole rope by himself, and then on the other side is the full Celtics team pulling the rope. I don't like. I I know he's reason one, two, and three to why they win games, but reasons four, five, and six like really matter, and it bothers me to believe that when LeBron wins, he does it all by himself, and when they lose, his talent sucks. Like, his talent around him sucks. I don't think that's a fair narrative, because I see, when I watch the Cavs throughout these playoffs, which I've watched almost every every freaking game, there's a real correlation to when J.R. Smith, Kyle Korver, Kevin Love, Tristan Thompson, when those guys play well, the Cavs are more likely to win. And I know maybe they play well because LeBron's setting them up, because there's so much attention on LeBron. That's fine, and I'm not discrediting that. 
But to say that like these guys don't matter is just insane to me. Because am I crazy for saying this? When I watch this, the Cavaliers play, when those other guys are hitting shots, when Tristan Thompson is getting offensive rebounds like crazy, they are a different team. Against the Toronto Raptors, the Cavs looked unstoppable. It looked like old Cavs. It looks like uh, the Kyrie year Cavs. When they were just actually talented, people thought they were good, and they had LeBron James. There's this narrative out there right now that it's LeBron James does everything, and these other guys are irrelevant. I don't see it that way, Duff. Am I crazy? Uh, you're a little crazy because they are kind of irrelevant. They're about, you know, like any anyone on this team besides LeBron James, you could could you or could you not find a reasonable substitute for that person? I don't, I don't, you know? I don't know if you can because Rodney Hood and Jordan Clarkson should be reasonable replacements. Like, are they not replacement level players? Are they not average players in the league? Like, maybe they're still below average. Maybe they stink. I kind of think they're not great. But they throw Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood in there, and they look lost, and they play horrible. Larry Nance hasn't even been able to get minutes. They were supposed to be the three guys to save the season. But now George Hill, who's been around the block, J.R. Smith, been around the block with the Cavs, those are the guys who are there for LeBron going through the battles. And when they hit shots, they are a different team. And that, like... I don't see how it can be argued, honestly. I don't like. I don't get it that like he need, he needs those people, but those people need LeBron. Like if LeBron isn't drawing as much attention as possible, they are useless because they can't. None of them can create their own shots effectively when LeBron like needs a rest. It's like all right, I can't touch the ball. It's possession. Like go do something about it. And none of them can really do anything unless it's like a little Corver. Kevin Love, like two man setting a side screen while LeBron is just going to pass it. Like whoever's open, I'm just going to feed you the ball. I don't trust any of those guys not named LeBron James to create their own shot and be effective throughout the course of an entire game. Like maybe they can give me a couple of possessions. It's like throw a little wrinkle in there. But other than that, like those are not the guys. And it's really, it's predicated on LeBron James drawing as much attention as possible. His usage rate just needs to be through the roof. Because if you watch the Celtics in this game, they're guarding LeBron as five. They, you know, like you talk to anyone and Marcus Morris got like, he he got some shade thrown at him because he said, you know, outside of Kawhi Leonard, I think I'm the best person to guard LeBron James. And that's a little clip that everyone took, but he goes on to say, but obviously you can't guard LeBron one-on-one. It takes a team, it takes a team to guard LeBron. And that's true. So if he's cooking on Marcus Morris and then they need to send help, that's how you create open shots for his teammates. That's how LeBron creates open shots for his teammates. It, it can't be giving them the ball to go you know do it on their own it has to be off of lebron's action i get that i do man i got and that's why i said he's reason one two and three but am, is it wrong to say reason four five and six matter no you're not wrong like but lebron need like lebron did not c- carry out his workload tonight like lebron didn't show up he scored 15 points he has seven rebounds and nine assists he had seven turnovers he went five for 16, 0 for five from three. He LeBron didn't show up tonight. So if he doesn't show up, you have no chance. Fair. Wrong or right? No, that's right. That's that's right. That is correct. Right. So the reason you need reasons one, two, and three for four, five, and six to even matter. Fair enough. I think you put that into perspective there. Because like it's just you're been- not wrong. He needs those guys, but he needs to take care of his own shit first. So four, five, and six only matter if one, two, and three are there. And one, two, and three are LeBron, Braun, and James. Yes, I get it. I get it. That's fair. And I just I just think that there is a real correlation there when those other guys are shooting well. 
And it comes down to almost just shooting. Like, a defense is obviously a team thing overall. LeBron can't guard everyone. But offensively, when those guys are hitting shots, they look like a very good team. So we'll see how it goes over the rest of this series. Uh, what's your quick prediction on Game 2 Tuesday night? Uh, I think it's going to be real close. I think it's going to be a very close game. I think the Cavs are going to make some adjustments. I think we have an opportunity to see Tyron Lue get exposed. I, I got a funny feeling that whatever the Cavs are going to do, uh, Stevens is going to be ready for it, and they're going to kind of jump him. I think it's going to be a real close game, but I think I, I think I think the Celtics take it. I think the Celtics Ooh. take it at home, but I'm not I'm not necessarily counting the Cavaliers out if that happens. Like I think it's going to be a real tight game. I don't feel I, I maybe put them as like a one point favorite. Seriously, like that's probably I what. think it's going to be a long series. Jalen Rose was on TV after the game, and he was like, "Everyone, take a breath. I know you just saw a beat down." but it's going to be a long series. People are going to be breaking their ankles, trying to jump on and off bandwagons over the course of this series. <laughs> I like that. And that's definitely true. I think Cavs take game two. I think it's going to be very close as well. I think it's a, I think it's a less than a four point game, four point game or less. It's going to come down to the final two minutes. It'll be a good one. But anyways, moving on. John Lucas, WP Kennedy here talking. Thank you uh, to anyone here listening. If you're listening to sports blog, New York podcast, you know, iTunes, Apple podcast, app, Google play, freaking, I don't know, blueberry, Pocket Cast, Overcast, whatever, whatever. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. So thank you for listening. And if you feel so kindly, don't forget to leave a little rating and review. It means the world to us. Uh, we put on this podcast every week, sometimes twice a week. Got some cool stuff planned out in the future. And uh, if you drop in you know, a couple stars and some thoughts on iTunes or Apple Podcasts app of what you think about the Sports Blog New York podcast, that means the world to me. It means the world to Duff. And uh, thank you for listening. Just shout out to you guys, always. But moving on to the Warriors and the Rockets. The... Uh, the Western Conference Finals that feels like the finals to a lot of people, though you and I as big NBA fans, I think a lot of people do care about LeBron and the Cavs and the Celtics right now, but we also do know that whoever wins the series between the Rockets and the Warriors will be favorites coming into the NBA Finals, and that series starts on Monday, the day we, we drop this podcast. We're recording. Pete, I got, a, I got a question for you. Yeah, what's up? So, you know, everyone's pointing at uh, this Rockets-Cavs, or I'm sorry, this uh, Rockets-Warriors series like as the finals, like, Said, and I like the way KOC put it as you know, uh, instead of people diminishing the the real finals, like why don't we say we got two finals this year? You know, like tr- think of it like that, which I appreciate. But my question is, why am I more intrigued by Cavs Celtics than I am by Warriors Rockets? I think because. Cause this, it's not just me. I like, I've kind of felt this way all year, like all playoffs. Like I know what's leading up to this. I know I should be more excited. It's like, it's like my first Christmas where I realize, you know, Santa's not real. It's like, it's like a little, like there's something not right about it. What can you, can you help me out here? I think it's because there's more unknown in the Cavs Celtics series for all intents and purposes. These teams are very different than the Celtics and Cavs of the past. The Warriors are very similar to last year. They're kind of similar to the pre-Kevin Durant Warriors. They're not very different. They just have Kevin Durant. The Rockets, on the other hand, they don't feel very different, but they are because everyone's just looking at James Harden and Chris Paul never getting over the hump as the best guys in their team. And I think I think as much as people come out here, me included occasionally, saying the Rockets have a really real chance to win this series or beat the Warriors or run seven games with the Warriors— I think it comes back to that 
innocent until proven guilty or guilty until proven innocent thing that we were just talking about. The Rockets are currently guilty until proven innocent. And they need to prove that they can hang for a seven-game series with the Warriors. And I don't, I don't know if the fatigue has set in. I think that might be it. The fatigue is set in on the Warriors, and we kind of just expect them to be back in the finals, even if we try and try our best to convince ourselves the Rockets are there. And until we see, you know, game one, game two, game three of this series and see how the Rockets actually match up and can they compete, can they hold their home court, will James Harden disappear, will Chris Paul disappear, until those questions are answered, the intrigue is kind of in in, in limbo, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, I think it does. We need the Maybe it's just because we've been pointing at it all year and put it, had it circled on our calendar since October, you know? Yeah, that might be it. But let's talk about the series here. So Chris Paul pretty much was the guy in the clinching game against the Jazz uh, Rocket series. You know, James Harden kind of took a back seat in that last game. Chris Paul had 40 points, 10 assists, had a fantastic performance. Um, that's where I want to start. So obviously we talk about the Warriors. How do you stop them? How do you slow them down? What do you do matchup-wise? And I think that is the biggest question because the Warriors' defense is really good. The Rockets' offense is really good. If they go cold a game or two, which I think they will, they're going to get beat by 30 points. Like, they're going to lose by 20 points for a game or two. I, th- I think that's really possible. But from a defensive standpoint, how do you match up the Rockets and the Warriors? Who's guarding uh, Kevin Durant? Who's guarding Steph Curry? And who is just chasing around Klay Thompson? Like, where, where does James Harden fit on the defensive scale there? I mean, James Harden's, they're going to try to hide him the best they can on, like, Iguodala or Draymond Green. That's for sure. But the thing about the Warriors is you can't, I mean, everyone's a threat to make a play, not necessarily score. Like everyone is capable of shooting, passing or dribbling. If they're open or they see a lane or they see a man open, they can all make the pass, make the cut, make the shot. So that there's really no weakness for him to be hidden on anyone. But the matchup I'm most looking forward to is uh, Steph and CP3. Like, I love watching Steph cook, and there's no one he cooks up more than Chris Paul. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, I'm not even one of those people who's like, Chris Paul's trash. He never made it to the, you know, conference finals, blah, blah, blah. Like, i am never been that guy, really. But if you look at the track record, and three or four years ago, Steph Curry just cooks the Clippers or Chris Paul, like, more specifically. So, I'm looking forward to that because, you know, if this is really like this is Chris Paul's time, this is, you know, new quote unquote new and approved Chris Paul, even though it's pretty much the same that, you know, the one thing is Steph has always kind of been on his ass and, you know, making him look silly. Like he made him fall down on the baseline that one time. Like he hit that crazy shot where he's weaving through a million guys, to the top of the key in golden state. And then all of a sudden he is back to the basket at the top of the key, just three sixty no scope three-pointer from 30 feet and like Steve Kerr's got his hands here like what the fuck are you doing then it goes in he's like oh my god what what have I got myself into I can't tell these people anything (laughs) and uh it it just seems like Steph always comes out to play when it's against Chris Paul because he knows like I'm going against point god like those are still player matchups that really matter another question will be how do the Warriors combat the iso pick and roll game of the Rockets so Steph Curry has to guard one of two people, I think. He has to guard Chris Paul, right? Like, does he or does he not? Do they put Clay Thompson on Chris Paul and put like Iguodala on James Harden and hide Steph Curry on PJ Tucker, Luke Mbamute, 
Oh, Eric oh, Gordon, probably. Eric, yeah, but even Eric Gordon is a very dynamic scorer, in my opinion. So Well, you got to pick your poison. You can't put him on PJ or Luka Mbamuti. I think they're too big. So so how do the Warriors match up defensively? What is the matchup you want to see when the Rockets have the ball in their hands? I think, uh, I think Chris Paul and Steph are going to be guarding each other straight up in the beginning of games, like down the stretch. We'll see. Uh, but I think that's where it, everything's going to start. And I think Clay is going to guard James Harden because he's had success against him in the past. He's had success against a lot of people in the past. He's still like for as much credit as he gets as a defender from like real NBA people who pay attention because he plays next to Draymond Green, like Draymond gets all the credit as being the defensive guy, but Clay is still one of the best defensive uh, perimeter guys in the league to me, like when I watch his eye test, I haven't he, he, checked, he, you know, the analytics or anything. Even but. Kevin Durant has gotten more defensive love than Clay probably this season. Yeah, yeah. And that's, well, he's also taken a big step up. And it's just kind of, that's the thing about defense. It's kind of hard to uh, quantify when it's, you know, sometimes you play a great defense and the guy makes a shot and it's just unlucky, you know, whatever. But I, I think Clay is going to be guarding James Harden to start with. And then probably move to Iguodala down the stretch, if I had to guess. And then once they go line up a death, anyone on the court besides Steph can guard James Harden. So it, it's I, I would be interested to see down the stretch if the Rockets kind of pull that uh, the trick the Cavs did, where they have um, whoever you know Steph is guarding, like it was J.R. Smith when it was on the Cavs. If they have you know Chris Paul or Eric Gordon setting picks for uh, James Harden and then forcing the Warriors to switch because they're going to switch everything late. And then what do you do when it's, you know, Steph against James Harden? I think that's a real mismatch that they have to be worried about down the stretch in close games. How confident are you in Steph Curry uh, as a as a player as a whole? Because he came back from injury and had that first game where he just popped and was hitting the crazy threes. But then he kind of not fell into the wayside, like fell to the wayside or anything like that. But he wasn't, he wasn't Steph. Like he wasn't full yeah, it came throttle. Came down to earth a little bit. Yeah, he wasn't full throttle, hundred percent. You know, hitting these crazy threes like he does uh, from time to time, or when he's fully healthy. How confident are you in Steph Curry's health and performance coming up? Uh, I'm pretty confident. I don't think they pushed him too hard in the Orleans series. I think that first game was kind of a statement. I think that was important to Steph to kind of come out and you know do his thing. But beyond that, I, I don't really see. I don't think it was like a big point that we need to like keep Steph involved, keep him in the game, like get him his shot all the time against New Orleans because they just need him on the court. Like Steph, you know, you hear these stories about Steph coming on the sideline and he he's pissed because he's not having a good game or something like that. And then Steve Curl show him the stat sheet, say, hey, you know, you're not shooting that great or you're not scoring that many points or whatever, but you're plus 30. So we need you out there because you stretch the floor and he's, we talked about it before. He's got this gravity about him. He just pulls defenses towards him because he can, as dangerous as he is with the ball, because he's got these crazy handles. I'd argue he's maybe more dangerous without it because he's running off all these screens. And if you're not paying attention and there's so much movement in the Warriors offense, if you lose anyone, they're all capable of hitting open threes. And just sometimes people get too attached to not too attached. I mean, they get more attached to, Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson, you know, oh, what happens if they spot up? You know, Steph just had the ball. He passed these guys. Like, what's going to happen now? And then meanwhile, Steph is running around a million screens, and he's just wide open in the corner for a spot up three. So they need him on the court. It's not necessarily super important that they run their offense through him. I just think uh, 
the fact that he's out there is is the most important thing. The f- you know, because the Rockets have to game plan for him, and then KD gets a little more breathing room and stuff like that. It just opens up the court for him. One more question on this series before we make our predictions. Uh, the Warriors have had this ability to make bigs irrelevant in playoff series, especially late in fourth quarters. You know, we saw it with the Thunder. Enos Cantor was literally unable to play in fourth quarters of their games. Uh, Steven Adams was able to hold his own, but at some point seemed irrelevant on the court there. Clint Capella has been a huge piece for the Rockets this year, defensively, slashing, offensive rebounds, just being a part of the offense and setting so many pick and rolls, uh, setting them up. Do you think the Warriors are going to be able to make him irrelevant or make him sit in fourth quarters? How do you think Clint Capella performs here? I think he's going to be super relevant in the first three quarters, but then when they go to that lineup of death, I'm seriously concerned because they can't, if they move him into the pick and roll and then you just have Iguodala or Draymond Green switching on to James Harden and it's like, okay, you just switched off Clay Thompson to get to Draymond Green, former defensive player of the year, or Andre Iguodala, finals MVP for guarding LeBron James. So, or, or like if they put Kevin Durant on him, then you got finals MVP again, he guarded LeBron James. Like, I don't think they can have him out there setting screens. I'm not going to say they can't have him out there because they can have him lurking in the corner, kind of waiting for those lobs. But I would think, you know, possibly you see more James Harden just straight up ISO at the end of games rather than pulling in a screener, unless they're doing that Steph Curry pick and roll switch. Like I talked about earlier. Um, Cause this which, way you which, have Capella down there for the lob. And if he beats his, you know, if, if Harden beats his man, someone's still going to have to step up and help. And if that's Capella's man, you know, there's going to be a lot. We've seen it a thousand times this year. So that's where I kind of stand with him. I'm not, I'm not super convinced that he's going to have any value later in games in the pick and roll game, just, you know, because of what I said about the switchability. And those uh, Steph Curry pick and roll switches that the Rockets are going to hope to get turn into ISOs, right? So it's not like true pick and roll. Yes. It's more of a pick and switch and that's reset for right. an ISO. So even though the pick and roll will be will be there technically, it's more to set up a more advantageous ISO. Um, but Duff, exactly. what are your predictions for this series? How many games and who you got? I got the Warriors. I got them in either four or six. I'll say what? six. Wait, four or six? Not, not five? What? What? Nah, I don't think they're going to win it on the road necessarily. Um, nah, it's, I'll take... No, fuck it. I'll take four. I'll take a Warriors sweep because wow. I look at this Rockets team and I get that they were built to to beat the to beat the Warriors and all that junk. But like I look at this team and I look at the the Cavaliers teams over the past three years, and I'm not convinced that this Rockets team is better than those uh, than those three Cavaliers teams. Um, if if you can beat LeBron James, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, I think you can beat James Harden and Chris Paul. I understand their sporting cast is better and they have better shooting, but if you can beat LeBron two out of three times, I think you can beat James Harden, you know, this time. I hear that. that. That's kind of the way I look at it. The way I'm going on this stuff, because I made a mistake when we did our last podcast together, because you and I did our last show right before the second round started. So right before Sixers, Celtics, Cavs, Raptors, um, and the second round in the West, which I think we were both just correct because we picked the Rockets and the Warriors, obviously. But mm-hmm. before the playoffs started, I picked the Celtics to beat the Sixers in round two. And then right before the second round started, I switched and said, 
I think the Sixers are going to be better. I don't see the Celtics scoring. And I, I said all this stuff about the Celtics that was I know, negative. I did the same thing with the Raptors. I wanted to shoot myself. And I, I, and I ended up being wrong after I switched. So what I'm going to not do here, I'm not going to flop from my, plea, my pre-playoff prediction. I picked the Rockets to make the finals this year. So I'm going to go Rockets in seven. And it's going to be a weird series. And I said this before in the pod. I'm going to say it one more time here. There's going to be multiple games decided by more than 10 points. I think at hmm. minimum, there's going to be, and I'm not saying all in one direction, there's going to be minimum two games that are 10-point games. One of them will definitely be Rockets lose. I think there's going to be that game where James Harden is 2 of 11 from 3, you know, 10 of 25 from the field, still gets his 10 free throws, but has a bad, inefficient game, and the Rockets are going to lose by 15, 20 points. I think that's going to happen. I also think there's going to be a game where the Rockets are hitting on all cylinders. James Harden is 7 of 11 from 3. And Ariza's is hitting threes. Eric Gordon's hitting threes. Uh, Mbamute hits a couple threes. P.J. Tucker. I think there's going to be one of those games where the Rockets win by 15. That being said, there's going to be some really good tight games mixed in. And I, I'm going with the Rockets mostly because I picked them before the playoffs started. And I want to stay true this time. And then secondarily, I'm going to take in the Rockets because of their full team. I think the Warriors have the best four players on the court. Uh, if you're taking best four from each, obviously James Harden's better than like Draymond Green, I guess. But the supporting cast of the Rockets is going to be the death of the Warriors here. The shooters and their ability to actually compete on defense. That was their problem in the past. They didn't play good defense. This team now has real gritty defenders, starting with Chris Paul, followed by Ariza, P.J. Tucker, and Bamute, and Clint Capella protecting the rim. I think they actually have what it takes. I'm going Rockets in seven, Duff. Damn. Yeah, I I feel like a dickhead picking a sweep, but like I, I'm gonna feel like a dickhead if it's a sweep and then I picked him at six. And it's like I was giving too much respect to the Rockets. I don't know, man. Six, six is I, also I, like the cop out answer, kinda, right? Like Warriors. That's what I'm six, saying. Kind of that's cop, why I don't want to pick it. I feel that. Uh, it's it's so hard to pin down the Rockets. There's just so much variance. There's so much variance in the way they play, it's, and that's how they want it. Because you got to be able to shoot the shit out of the ball if you're going to beat the Warriors. You can't really, you can't, you can't slow them down. You can't try to dictate like that. Like I hear people trying to say, but the other thing is, can they? Can you out Warrior the Warriors? They're, it's like the Rockets wait, wait, also, do a little wait, of both. Real quick, before we move on, I'm sorry to cut you off. There's also this narrative that there's going to be a million three pointers in this game, uh, in this series. You know, the Warriors were only shot the 17th most threes in the league this year. Like, the narrative that the Warriors just chuck a ton of threes is actually wrong at this point. They don't take more threes than everybody else. They just do it better than a lot of people, if that makes sense. And outside of, uh, you know, Steph, Clay, KD, and Quinn Cook, there's not a lot of three-point shooters on this team. Not a lot of guys who you just want chucking shots. Like, is good for, like, three a game. Draymond's good for, like, three a game. But with the Rockets, like, anybody on that team outside of Clint Capella can be good for five-plus three-point attempts a game. Well, the flip side of that coin is Steph missed, you know, 31 games this year. So he only, sh- he shot like True. 300 less threes than he would have. That is a good point. So, you know, do you add those 300 threes in? I don't know what it is. Like two years ago, he shot eight, almost 900 threes. He shot 886 threes. Year after that with KD, he shot 789. This year he shot 501 and he missed 30 games. So you know, take that for what it's worth. You say it's lower, and it is, but it's also because they were missing like the highest volume three point shooter of all. 
Right, and Quinn, Quinn Cook, uh, for all the threes he's taken, he's not taking uh, 11 a game like Steph. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that is he's a good point. He's not averaging, exact, yeah, 11, 10, you know. All right, well, that's it. I got Rockets in seven. You got Warriors in a sweep. We'll sh- we shall see what happens. I think this series is going to be one where after we see two games, we start to understand how it might look. But beforehand, like you said, the intrigue's kind of in limbo. We're not sure what's going to happen and what the series is going to look like, but I'm very excited for that game Monday night. But also, last thing I want to talk about, we'll spend like five minutes uh, on this. The NBA draft lottery is on Tuesday. And I kind of mentioned my point earlier about Jason Tatum and how all of this stuff matters. How, you know, who gets the first pick, who gets the second, third, fourth pick. All this stuff really, really matters because it, it's going to dictate who goes where, what teams are more likely to swing on a Luka Doncic, who thinks DeAndre Ayton's the number one prospect, who thinks Marvin Bagley is all-world, who thinks Marvin Bagley might be the eighth best player in this draft. It's It's very... It's very dependent on what teams they go to, what systems they go to, who's their coach, and this lottery will dictate a lot of that. So I mentioned how Jason Tatum won the draft last year by going to the Celtics. Do you think there's a team, you know, being that the Sixers are in the in the lottery, the Cavs are in the lottery uh, based off these traded picks, do you think there's a team that can seriously win the lottery or seriously make a big difference by getting a big pick here? Uh, I would say... The Grizzlies, if the Grizzlies get uh, like the number one pick, I think it can make a big difference because they're going to have Mike Conley coming back. They're going to have Gasol and, you know, they can make some moves this summer if they if they see that they have an opportunity to really be in, to inject someone like Doncic or something like that would be slide right in, I think. So they jump out to me because you look at the other teams on the board, like the Suns, the Mavs, the Hawks, the Magic, the Bulls, the Kings. So like any, any of those guys, it doesn't really, any of those teams, it's not like a huge deal if they get number one, cause they're still going to be a bad team. The Grizzlies could be a playoff team next year when they get all their guys back or, you know, the, the caps, they have like a 2% chance of getting number one pick and they're setting like a 10% right chance of getting top three. So that's also another big one, obviously. It is going to be interesting. The Knicks also sitting at nine. A guy I want to mention who I know is close to your heart being a Villanova man, and me and Jeff Eisenband talk about this on the last episode. It seems like every fan base set in like the five to ten range, they all want Mikel Bridges. Like they all mm-hmm. want him. Everyone thinks they're getting yeah, him. See, everyone's like, yeah, if he slides to like eight, nine, ten, it's like, dude, is he going to make it out of the top five? Yeah, like at this point, it seems like he's, he's, well, he seems like such a safe pick where he's a plug and play. He's almost no bust potential because he's long, can shoot, and looks like he buys into defense. Like, he big Chris Vernon, a draft guide, guys that suck contender. I'm sorry, what was that? You broke up for a hot sec. Uh, Chris Vernon, you remember he was talking about his draft guide? He's right, going right. to make it guys who don't suck. He seems like he'd be a good contender to be a top. <laughs> yeah, a guy who just won't be a bad player. Like If you yeah. look at Trey Young, he can end up being bust the Jace, even though I think he has skills to last in the NBA for a long time. Michael he Porter. He could be Trey Burke. He could be, yeah, he could end up being Trey Burke, who shoots more threes instead of mid rangers. That's exactly right. Uh, Michael Porter, we don't know much about. Some people think Mo Bamba is incredible. Some people are like, I don't know how he fits in the league right now, even though he's starting to shoot threes. Wendell Carter's is back to the basket big, but also has shooting potential, kind of slow footed. Marvin Bagley's a weird guy. Is there anybody in this draft that you tout to the point where it's like whoever gets this guy is going to be lucky as hell michael porter jr you really you're staying high on michael i'm porter still jr. riding on it dude i'm still pause i'm still uh 
<laughs> I'm, I'm, I've still got all of your Michael Porter stock. You want to sell it to me? I got it. Um, I think this draft is artificially deep. I am of the mind, like I'm a really young NBA fan that like I'm 22. You're like 24. How old are you? 23. 23. So it's like, we're not far off in age, but you've been paying attention to the NBA longer than I have. Um, Cause I was more into college and stuff when I was younger, but I just, uh, I don't see the, like the value of a unicorn type big man yet. I like, we have a bunch of them in the league and, but none of it's really translated into anything. The way the league has gone is now you have to build from the outside in instead of the inside out. And I look, think of all these top big men. You got Aiden, you got Bomber, you got Bagley, you got Jackson. You know, the list goes on. And I don't, I'm not going to draft any of those guys in my top five. Like, if really? I'm really trying to seriously build my team for the future, I don't, like, a big man is not important. Who's the best big man left in the playoffs right now? Al Horford? Wow. Yeah, it's Al Horford, it's Clint Capella, Kevin Love, Draymond. I guess yeah, Draymond's right? like 6'7", 6'8". So uh, the one the one surprise I have here is you as someone who pulls for your sons the Suns out in Phoenix. Mm. You don't you don't see DeAndre Ayton being a number 1 pick. Your sons are most likely to get the number 1 pick. You don't see a Devin Booker DeAndre Ayton pick and roll universe where it's just unstoppable. Um no, because they're just going to have him it's gonna to be too much. Like they're gonna to go to him in the post and shit. Like, I, how many how many post ups you see in Houston? How many post ups you see in Golden State? Kevin, how many post ups you see? The post ups are from, from Kevin, Kevin Durant, by the way. That's it. The, exactly. So, and he's just like ultimately a super skill guy. Like I don't care about super skill, big man, touch around the basket. Like if you look at the Celtics and the Sixers series, it was the perfect example of that. Where, you know the Sixers were just dumping the ball to Embiid and the Celtics were saying, all right, fine. We're just going to guard the three-point line. We don't really care about that because we're shooting the shit out of the ball and you're not. So you can't catch up to us trading twos for threes. So I, I really see the league moving that way and I'm not taking a big man in, in the top five. Like, if I'm seriously thinking about the future of my team with the future of the league, I don't know the exact value of DeAndre Ayton because I don't know the exact value of Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know the exact value of Kristaps Porzingis, Embiid, Jokic. Like, okay, those guys are good. They're young. But, like, what are we going to be looking at later on? Like, Anthony Davis, like, where he is the best player on his team. And they had no shot against the Warriors. So, it you got to build from the outside in. So, you're looking at Michael Porter, 6'10 wing, who shoots. Like, he's a shooter. You know, mm-hmm. people will see his uh, physical stature and be like, oh, he just must be a dominant athlete, dunking on heads and stuff like that. He's a shooter. He's a scorer. He loves to shoot the ball. And you saw it when he played those, like, three games for Missouri where it's like, oh, crap, this guy's ready to chuck. Like, he hasn't played yet this yeah. season, comes in just chucking threes. Like, that's what he does. So you see 6'10", Michael Porter, despite the back injury, despite not playing much in college, and you're like, that's a guy I'd rather take a chance on with my top five pick who needs to be a cornerstone, you know, franchise changer. I'd rather take a risk on him than a low-floor big who may end up just being a solid guy who doesn't make a huge difference for a team. Yeah, I think the the best value you're going to find from a big is going to be Jaron Jackson because he's not going to really demand the ball, and he's going to find his game 
you know, through the motion of an offense, through just whatever the team kind of needs him to do, he'll be able to do. He'll develop into being that versatile guy. That, you know, I, I just don't, I don't know what the value of a, of, of Towns and Jokic and all these guys that I mentioned before. I, you know, maybe this is just too soon because I think Towns is like my age. So who knows? But, the way the game is going, and I've talked about it before, it just seems like it's being broken down into a math equation, and threes are a big factor in that in that equation. So, I don't, I don't know how uh, how many guys you're going to be standing on the block as long as that's still worth two points. It's not three, and three is more than two. And lastly, I want to get your opinion. This will be the last thing we talk about before we say goodbye on the international guy touted as a top five pick, possibly number one pick, probably two three range maybe. That's Luka Doncic. So I think you're taking a very realistic, cautious approach where you do see the upside and you see what the hype's about, but you're kind of holding back. So Duff, what are your thoughts on Luka Doncic? I have, you're right, I have been cautious, but I'm cautiously optimistic. Like, I don't, like, root for people to be bad or really take a stance that they're going to suck unless I, like, really mean it or I really hate the way they play because I've said it before, I just want the best basketball possible. And I think he's got a, Decently high IQ. I think a lot of his game, the thing that worries me, a lot of his game is predicated on, predicated on his physicality, and he can get away with that in the Euro League. But in the NBA, when he's going up against big dudes like like Mba Mute even, or P.J. Tucker, or friggin' LeBron James is going to be the type of dude that's guarding him, someone who's 6'8 wing. And he's 6'6", he's a little undersized for a three. So a lot of his game is very physical over there. And I don't think he's going to be able to get away with that. He really needs to develop his skills. He's absolutely a top five pick, but it's hard to project 19 year olds at any level. Most of the time, especially in this draft where there's really no clear cut Ben Simmons, Anthony Davis, you know, this guy's got to be the number one pick type of dude. So if you were the Dallas Mavericks and you ended up at number three and all off, off the board was Deandre Ayton. And I don't know. Off the board was DeAndre Ayton and Michael Porter, just for argument's sake. So on the board leaves Luka Doncic, Marvin Bagley, Jaron Jackson, Mo Bamba, uh, Trey Young, Mikel Bridges, Colin Sexton, those guys. If you're the Mavericks and you see those guys remaining, Doncic, Bagley, and like the people I just mentioned, who would you prefer to swing on with the number three pick? Doncic. So you still pick Doncic over the Bagley type, the Jaron Jackson type, the Mo Bamba 100%. Type. What did I just say? I just trashed big men. <laughs> I just judge all big men worldwide <laughs> two minutes ago. Like I'm not taking any of those guys over a wing who has as much, if not more potential. Like before this past season started college and Euro season, it was between Doncic and Porter. Porter got hurt and Doncic kept playing and he was producing in the second best league in the world. So I, I, I'm not saying he's a bad player. I think his, his floor is something like Kilo Turgaloo is the comparison. I think he'll be better than Hito. I think he's better skill-wise at a younger age than Hito. So, you know, he'll, he'll be better than that. Like, think Tony Kukoc for the for the Bulls type deal where he could do a little everything, a little post-game, little drive, little shot from three. You know, like, that's the most important thing for him. If his athleticism is not going to be what it needs to be, it, it, he's got to be able to space the floor and be a threat in other ways off catch-and-shoot threes. That's the number one thing for him to improve on. and. I take a flyer on that before I take a big man, 100%. I like it. Very interesting. We're going to be talking way more about the NBA draft. Um, in the future, obviously, it's in June, and we have some more NBA playoff games to go. 
Duff, my man, any last words for the Sports Blog New York podcast? Uh, nah, I got it all out. <laughs> you feel good about this one? <laughs> yeah, I, I feel good. The only thing I'm going to say, I'm a little nervous about Michael Porter because I feel like I'm getting Josh Allen syndrome where oh, it's like no. he looks good in shorts. Like he's got the body, he's got the game, ideally, but who knows? Who knows? You're talking about 19-year-olds. Who the fuck knows? Well, at least he plays his game in shorts, so that's a plus. There you go. That's it. Uh, shout out Knicks, man. Good luck, Knicks. And Scott Perry is going to be representing the Knicks at the draft lottery. He's had some um, some good lottery days, you know, back in Detroit. He was representing them when they got that pick, even though they took Darko Milicic. They did end up with that. <laughs> they did end uh, up with the number yeesh. two. They did end up with number two when he was there. <laughs> and also the Kings last year. Some good stuff. So oh, shout Could out. you imagine if they ended up with number two again somehow? And then they, no, uh, they take Doncic and everyone's going to be like, holy shit. Just Darko all over again. No, I cannot imagine that. That would really hurt my Ugh. feelings. I just the one thing I'm really hoping is that the Knicks jump the Cavs. That's all I want, and 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 that the Sixers don't jump the Knicks. That's all I want. Me too. I hope the Cavs get the 16th pick. <laughs> For real, they've had so much luck and they've turned it into to Kyrie. Like, they turned it into Kyrie. Irving. Yeah, That's turned it. it into the Celtics well, getting Kyrie like, and Ke- and Kevin Love, I guess, but. And Anthony Bennett's out of basketball. Yeah, facts. All right, man. Sports Blog New York Podcast. John Guzzuffi and Pete Kennedy here. Thank you all for listening. As always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this fine program. And more importantly, have a great day.